Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Good morning. I am not often introduced as Sarah Nepper the K is silent, but I mean, I guess that's true. So, um... I do, I just want to echo what Tanner said. We welcome you here this morning as we continue this series. You can read the title of it. I'm not even going to try. I get it wrong every single time. Um, But the the theme of the series this month is talking about love and relationships, marriage and dating, um, and what that looks like from a biblical perspective. So before we jump in this morning, um, I want to give... uh, a warning? I don't know, is that the right word? Um, If you have little people in here with you this morning, um, the topic of the morning is sexual immorality. And so that's gonna go a lot of directions. So I just wanted to give you some fair warning uh, before we launch into this. Um, If you think that you have little people with you that maybe this is, they're not ready to hear this, we wanna give you time to take them back to Movement Kids or hang out in the lobby or whatever. Um, I was talking with Mark this morning. He's at Three Creeks today, which we're very excited about. If you've been around for a while, you know Three Creeks is a church that we have planted on the east side of Columbus in the town of Gahanna. Um, And so he's there with them this morning celebrating. They're getting ready to have their public launch next Sunday. Uh, But he and I were talking a little bit this morning and um, talking about the idea that if if your kids are probably middle school age or older, it's pretty appropriate for them to be in here. Um, statistics say that the first time that kids are exposed to sexual images and sexual language is at the age of nine or 10. Um, so um, anyways, yeah, we, we wanna be able, as the church and as believers, we want to have a voice and speak into that. So we respect you as parents and respect the decision that you make, um, but I wanted to say that before we jump in. So now, aren't you excited? Some of you are like, oh man, I wish I had a kid so I could sneak out of here because this is gonna be awkward this morning. And also I said to Mark, thank you so much for um, not being here and allowing me to be the one to talk about this. I'm pumped about it. Um, but I'm getting him back because in two weeks he's coming to my high school. I teach at Worthington Christian High School and he has to talk about pornography with my teenagers. So um, whatever, you know, don't, because I'll get you right back. I will, I promise. Um, so here we go. Let's jump in. This is the most awkward start to a message I think I've ever had. Um, I want to start just by maybe telling you a little story um, about the very first time that I went to Haiti. Um, we partner with an organization in Haiti called Breathe Partners, and um, we have a community down there, and we have a pastor down there. He's a Haitian pastor. He's planting a church. We have some people from our church that are living down there all year. Um, so I was down there, but this was before, like, Movement Church was even a thing, okay? It was a long time ago. And I was down there with a group of um, people from all kinds of different churches that had come down and we were doing just some kind of like groundwork to help this ministry, Breathe Partners, get started. And um, we were sleeping um, in this old school um, and it was like all concrete block. We were there in August 
Um, those of you that have been to Haiti, if you've been there around that time of year, you know it is so hot. It's the hottest I have ever been. And so um, we would sleep inside and we would lock the doors so that no like rabid dogs could get inside. It was very exciting. And um, we're sleeping inside this building and it's so, so, so hot. And the first few nights that we were down there, everyone is sleeping under mosquito nets because no one wants to get bit and get malaria and you know, whatever. But it's so hot that eventually most of us are like, forget it, I'm not sleeping under these nets anymore. Malaria cannot be worse than this. So like, whatever, it's fine, I'll just risk it. Um, but there was this one man who was down there and I, I don't know, he was probably in his like 40s, I would guess. And um, he is more afraid of spiders than maybe any person that I've ever met. And I get like, okay, I don't really like bugs, but he was like terrified of spiders. And the bugs in Haiti are big, okay? So if you're thinking about going down there and you're afraid of bugs, just like prepare yourself. They're enormous. I have never seen cockroaches so big that can fly, actually. Um, so I, it's not a joke. So he's like afraid, so afraid. And so when we would go to bed each night, he would have like five people help him get his mosquito net all tucked in because, he, not because of the mosquitoes, but because he did not want a spider anywhere close to him. So we're like getting him prepped, you know, and then everyone else is just kind of like sleeping all over the place because it's so hot. He's the only one who's under a net. And as he's laying down, he says to this other guy that's sleeping in the room, do you see that spider over there in the corner? And so, I mean, it's like as far away from him as it could possibly be. It is not inside the net. It is no big deal, you know? And the guy is like, I see it, but like you're fine because you're inside your net. It's fine, you know? So the man has so much trouble falling asleep. He finally falls asleep. He wakes up a couple of hours later, and he doesn't see the spider. And he thinks, oh, well, he must have gone outside. And as he's getting resituated, he looks up and he realizes, oh, no, no, the spider has somehow managed to get inside his mosquito net. The man had, like, a complete full-out, like, meltdown, right? Like, yelling, and the net goes flying, and he's outside. I mean, everyone was like, is someone being murdered? No, no, no. Jim's just afraid of this, this spider. So, like, he had this real genuine, this thing is evil. It could potentially kill me, even though it couldn't. But that's really how he felt. And so he was doing everything in his power to stay far, far, far away from it even going to the extent of having other people help him in this endeavor. He didn't care how awkward it made him look. He did, he did not care that people were talking about him behind his back. Look at this big baby, so scared of spiders. He did not care because his understanding of the situation drove him to believe, I will take whatever means necessary to protect myself from this danger. Now, when it comes to sexual immorality... Most of us don't have the right attitude. Most of us don't feel that way about sexual immorality at all. Some of you are maybe just as afraid of spiders as poor Jim is, and you have had those moments where you just run screaming out of the room. And yet when it comes to sexual immorality, that thought never crosses your mind. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of an issue. This morning we're gonna look at a couple of different passages. Uh, this struggle with sexual immorality is not a new thing. It's not a new thing for people, and it's not a new thing inside the church. And yet, we see that God has some really strong words to say about it. So, I will say it, I kind of mentioned it already, but I'll say it again. I think this morning's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable, and I think it's gonna be uncomfortable for all of us. 
But I also believe that if we really believe that God is who he says he is and that this word is really from him, we should expect him to say some things to us sometimes that make us uncomfortable. Because I don't know about you, but as a 33-year-old, I would be pretty arrogant to think that I've got it all sorted out already, that the way that I'm living is the best way ever to live. I should expect God's word to make me feel kind of sometimes. So I think today might be one of those days. So again, aren't you glad you came? Okay, so here we go. Um, We're gonna start in 1 Corinthians chapter five. If you have a Bible under your chair, it looks like this. We're on page 872, 1 Corinthians chapter five. As you turn there, I'm just gonna say a quick word of prayer to ask God to speak to us this morning. Don't feel bad turning while I pray, that's okay. You can pray with your eyes open, I promise. Father, thank you that you have given us your word. Thank you that you continue to be with us as people, that just like you were with the church in Corinth, you continue to be with us this morning. I ask God today that you would speak to us and that you would make our hearts and our ears willing to listen. God, I pray that you would convict us of sin and that we would be willing to respond to whatever you call us to do. I pray that you would make us a people that look more like you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Uh, We're going to read the first five verses, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's happening here. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. You must then throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Okay, so um, here's what's happening. If you're unfamiliar with the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, um, who was a follower of Jesus and is one of um, the greatest missionaries during the early church. He does more extensive travel than anybody else in the first few years of the church. And he has started a church in this city of Corinth. Um, And the people in the city of Corinth are... uh, wild. Okay. So they've trusted in Jesus. They believe in Jesus, but they also continue to practice all of these things that have been normal to them before they were Christ followers. So they haven't quite figured out like, what does it look like for me to give up my old way of life and to walk with Jesus in this new way of living? And some of that has to do with just kind of the culture that they live in and the various gods that were being worshiped in the town that they lived in. Um, Sexual sin was like very prevalent and very rampant and um, there were temple prostitutes certain gods were worshipped by like you would go to the temple of that god there were prostitutes that were available there and by you having sex with this prostitute in the temple that was a way that you worshipped that god so I mean like weird stuff okay weird So this group, these people in Corinth, who if you read the first few chapters, you can see that Paul loves these people. And Paul has good things to say about them. But now he comes to this moment where he says, hey, uh, before we go any farther, let me just say something because I've heard a report about something that's happening in your church and we got to deal with it. Uh, There's a man who's sleeping with his stepmom. That's not okay. 
Now, it feels like that's something that like should go without saying, right? Like this is like one of those like, yes, okay, I thought we wouldn't have to put that in the rules, but apparently we do. This man has been having sex with his stepmother and Paul is saying to them, you need to deal with this. Now, if you notice, the language that he uses feels kind of harsh, and we don't have a lot of time to kind of camp on this, but let me just try to unfold it a little bit for you. When he says, you need to hand this guy over to Satan and let him deal with it, um, don't think of that as Paul saying, like, we hate this man, so just get rid of him and ignore him. But the idea here is this man cannot both claim to be a follower of Jesus and live in this kind of sin. So if he is unwilling to repent and change, then we must assume that he is not actually a follower of Jesus. So we need to treat him as we would treat any other person who is not a follower of Jesus. Now, I don't know how much you understand about how Christ followers are supposed to treat people who are not Christians, but it's not with hate. We treat people who are not Christ followers with love and with grace and with compassion, but also with an understanding that these people have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus, they have not yet embraced the truth, and we need to be consistently and passionately reaching out to them with the gospel and begging them to be willing to change their hearts, change their lifestyles, change their minds as they turn to follow Jesus. So Paul isn't saying we hate this guy, ignore him, cut him off. He's saying something here needs to change. This man cannot both claim to follow Jesus and live in this kind of sin. You must make a change. Now, you may be thinking like, okay, so we get it. This is like, okay, point number one, don't sleep with people that you're related to. Okay, got it, yes. Okay, that seems like it goes without saying, but here's what I want you to see in verse six, okay? Um, Verse six, this is what Paul says. Your boasting about this is terrible. Okay, so not only is this man sleeping with his stepmom, but also the church is going like, isn't this so awesome? Like we have such freedom in Christ. Like I have been freed from any sort of fear about what will happen to me in all of eternity because Christ's blood covers me and Christ's blood covers my sin that I can kind of live however I want. Isn't this amazing? Look at this guy sleeping with his stepmom and still he's united with Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Disgusting. Like what? The church is boasting about this. And so here's what we're going to say, point number one, as we kind of launch into this. We need to have the right attitude about sex and about immorality. And we look at these people and we go like, oh my goodness, who could ever possibly think something like that or say something like that? Appalling. But I would like for us to take a step back and just kind of look at our culture and look at the things that we celebrate. And look at the things that without even batting an eye, we consider to be normal. If you have ever watched television after eight o'clock at night, you have essentially watched people having sex on TV in front of you. You have heard it, you have seen it. And yet, our thought is like, Oh, whatever, it's normal. Just is what it is. 
you know, you can't watch TV and not see that stuff. And what am I gonna do, not watch TV? We have so normalized some of these things that we are completely numb to the fact that there is sexual immorality that exists in our homes, in our thoughts, in the things that we allow ourselves to watch, the things that we allow ourselves to say. We're completely numb to it. So before we start pointing the finger at them and saying, what is wrong with those people? We need to take a look at ourselves. In what ways have we allowed such sin into our own lives? And in what ways is God saying to us, stop celebrating? Stop celebrating. It's gross. We're gonna look a little further and see what he says next. Because this image, as we think about our attitude towards sex and immorality, um, he gives us this image. So we'll start at the beginning of six again. You're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. What Paul is doing here is he's using the image of the Passover meal, which to these um, Corinthian believers would have been a little bit familiar. Um, so if you're unfamiliar, let me just kind of outline it quickly. Um, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, were brought out of slavery in the nation of Egypt. They had been slaves for 400 years. And in order to bring them out of the nation of Egypt, God did this whole kind of series of actions. We call them the plagues. If you've ever seen the Ten Commandments with Yul Brenner, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, nope, too young. So um, God, they, God brings them out of the nation of Egypt, and uh, the last night that they're there, he commands them to celebrate this meal. And there's all these different symbols connected to it, but for the sake of time, here's all you really need to know. In order to celebrate this meal, God said, I want you to eat this meal um, ready to go at any moment. So I don't want you to bake bread with yeast. I want you to bake unleavened bread so you don't have to wait for it to rise. So essentially just bake a bunch of crackers so that you can eat them. And I want you to sacrifice a lamb and the blood of this lamb is what's gonna protect you from kind of the danger that's coming for these Egyptians. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus Christ himself is referred to as the new Passover lamb. That just like the blood of a lamb was spread over the doorposts of homes in Egypt to protect people from death, now under this new idea, this new covenant, Jesus has come and his blood is placed on the, the wooden cross beams and as we put ourselves under his blood, we are now protected from death. And so what Paul is doing here as he uses this analogy is he is saying, look, just like as you prepared for the Passover, you weren't supposed to have any yeast anywhere in your house because if you got any yeast mixed into that dough, well, now it's gonna start to rise and you'd have to throw the whole thing out and start over. Yeast doesn't just impact the little area that it gets mixed into, it impacts the whole entire thing. In the same way, if sin is in the house, it impacts everybody. 
If sin exists in one of our lives, it impacts all of our lives. If we're willing to condone a sinful lifestyle in one of us, we have now impacted all of us. Paul is saying it matters. And it matters not just for one of you, which our temptation with so many of these sexual kind of sins is to say, yeah, 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 but it's not hurting anybody else. This is a victimless decision. So what did I watch porn? Who's it hurting? It's not hurting anybody. It's my decision. No one else is being impacted by this. Your sin is not victimless. We're gonna talk more about pornography towards the end. But for now, we need to understand that when you choose to bring sin into your life, it's not just impacting you, it's impacting all of us. And I want you now to look over at 1 Corinthians chapter six because Paul tends to do this thing where he talks in circles. Um, Some of you maybe have parents that do that to you where they start an idea and then they come back around and then they, that's how Paul kind of writes his letters. So he comes back to this idea in 1 Corinthians six It's just kind of the very next page there. Um, Starting in verse 12. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies and God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body which is a part of Christ and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Okay, so in chapter six, Paul is upping the ante here. Not just does our sin impact each other, but he's saying, because you are a Christ follower, you are a member of the body of Christ. If you've been around here for a while, you have heard us talk about this. We all have a different role to play. We're all gifted in different ways. We are all necessary parts of the body which is something that we so often celebrate, but do you consider the fact that whatever you do to yourself, whatever you allow into yourself, you are inviting into Christ himself. I hear my students say things as I teach, like, you know, if Jesus was really like right here, it would probably be way more more easy to like actually do the things that I'm supposed to do because like, ooh, he'd be watching me. And I'm not trying to give you like some sort of like simple Sunday school answer, but men and women, you are a member of Christ's body. And so whatever you choose to expose yourself to, you expose him to. Now, if we really consider Christ to be all the things that we sang about this morning, this wonderful God who has gone before us and who has loved us and who has laid down his life for us, who is good and who is kind and who is compassionate and who is holy, how dare we knowingly and willfully invite such foul sin to be united to him? 
how dare I do such a vile thing? Sexual sin impacts us all. And Paul goes one further and he says, and your sexual sin, what are you doing? You are united to Christ. Why are you inviting this sin to be bound to him? We must have the right attitude about sex and about immorality. This is not a victimless thing. And secondly, we need to understand what Christ's death did for us. I think some of us who have been believers for a long time and we have been around the church for a long time, sometimes we go like, yeah, 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 Jesus died for me. I know, I know, yeah, it's wonderful. Yes, but I do not believe that we actually understand what Christ's death did because if we did, we would live differently. And I know that you have heard us talk about this before if you have been around. Christianity is not this set of like, what can I do, what can't I do? You know what following Jesus is about? Following Jesus is understanding more and more who is he and what did he do for me? That's it. It's not trying to devise this list of like, yeah, but which one of these shows do you think would be like okay? And which one is kind of like, mm, maybe not so okay? And this one's like, I definitely shouldn't watch this one. And what about music? Let's go through the music. These are ones that Jesus approves. And these are ones that Jesus does, really does not approve. And these are ones that maybe in the middle. We're not sitting around trying to figure out the lists of how far we can go. We're considering what has Christ done to save me? And once I understand that, then how can I live my life out of gratitude to what he has done for me? If we are so quickly joining with sin, then we need to take a step back and evaluate. Do you really think about what it is that Jesus has done for you? Do you understand it? Do you understand how egregious your sin was? that it was enough to separate you from God for all of eternity. And Jesus died so that that did not have to be the case. Stop sinning. And I know that that's an oversimplification, right? Some of you are going like, okay, yes, you're telling me something that I've thought of before. I would like to be able to stop. I don't know how. Okay, we're gonna get into it. But for some of us, it absolutely must start with a shift in thinking and a shift in attitude. Stop acting like your sin is not a big deal. Christ died to kill your sin. And our big idea for this morning is if we do not destroy immorality, it will destroy us. And some of us have walked this path long enough to know that that is true. We have seen it in our own lives and we have seen it in the lives of people that we know and love. If we do not destroy immorality, it will destroy us. Now, what do we do? Where do we go? I wanna read a few more verses and then we're gonna talk about some application stuff. Um, we're gonna flip over to Ephesians chapter five, which is page 897, if you wanna turn there. Ephesians chapter five. I'm gonna start in verse three. I'm gonna read three and four, and then I'm gonna jump down to verse eight, if you're following along. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. 
Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Uh, Jumping down to verse eight. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Our goal is to be free of all sexual immorality as we live in the light of Jesus Christ. Not just to like get it under control, but to be free. And so I'm, I'm really, I am not trying to oversimplify things this morning. I'm not. Because I know that for some of us, this is the biggest issue. Like we all have the temptations that are particular to us that we struggle with the most deeply. And it's not the same for all of us. And for some of us, sexual immorality, it is our temptation. The one that has plagued us since we were young, the one that feels like a constant battle every day. But as a group of people in the United States of America, we have become far, far too comfortable with allowing sexual immorality to just be part of the storyline in our lives. And we must begin to make a change. So how do we do it? Let me say this before we talk about this application. I know that this is gonna be hard. Fighting sexual immorality is not easy. It will be a fight. And it will be countercultural. And it will mean that there will be things about you that your friends who are not Christ followers think are weird and prudish and awkward. But if we really believe that Jesus' death freed us from this, then who cares? If I really want freedom, like real freedom, not just I show up on Sunday and I sing some songs and hi, 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 I feel so good. And then I go home and I'm stuck in my crap again. If I want real freedom, then shouldn't I be willing to make any decision no matter how weird my coworkers think that I am? I have to say that I believe that it's worth it. Now hear me clearly. I'm not telling you that I have this all figured out. Just this week, as I had TV shows on before the Olympics started, because like, oh my gosh, I love the Olympics. Okay, so now that's all I'm watching. But before the Olympics started, and I would have the TV on in the evening as I'm grading papers, I would think, I can't believe I have this show on while I'm gonna have to talk about sexual immorality on Sunday. Like that thought would go through my mind. And it's so easy to just like push it out. Like, man, well, it's not that. I'm not really paying attention to this one scene. So I'm in this fight with you, okay? So let me say that. But we have to be willing to engage in this. So we're gonna talk about kind of three big areas. Number one, what do we watch? What do we watch? I think you need to evaluate what kind of TV shows and movies you allow yourself to watch. Now, like I said, this is not about creating a list. I'm not gonna tell you like, here are the shows that if you watch, you should feel really embarrassed about and stop doing it. That's not what this is about. But if you noticed, Ephesians chapter five says there should not be, in the NIV it says there should not be even a hint 
of sexual immorality. I have to tell you that there are some shows that I need to stop watching because there's a hint of sexual immorality in my life and I need to stop. So what do we watch? Now, this is bigger than TV shows and movies. We're gonna take a couple of minutes here to talk about pornography. Pornography is a widespread issue. I know that that's not new news to you. I have some statistics that I wanna share with you. In the year 2016, Pornhub, which is the number one porn site in the world, reports that there were 4,599,000,000 hours of pornography viewed during the year. That's equivalent to 5,246 centuries of pornography. There were 23 billion visits. That averages out to 729 visits per second, 64 million visits per day. Eight out of 10 men report that they view pornography monthly. One out of three women report that they view pornography at least once a week. 80% of women who view pornography are viewing pornography on their phone. 69% of men who are viewing pornography are viewing pornography on their phone. The United States is number one in its consumption of pornography, number one in the world. We make up 40% of the people who view pornography. Now, we could talk about pornography for a long time. Uh, Show up to my chapel in a couple of weeks and you can listen to Mark talk about it. The impact of pornography, I think this is one area where we really do feel like this is, this is my decision. It's victimless if nobody else knows about it. If my spouse and I decide that we're gonna watch it together, why should this be a big deal? Pornography is not a victimless crime. And I am gonna use the word crime, I am. Oh, I feel so strongly about this. Oh, I feel so strongly about it. It's dangerous for several reasons. It's dangerous because one, it creates an unhealthy image in your mind about what a sexual relationship looks like. It creates unhealthy expectations about what your spouse can or will do for you. It creates unhealthy expectations about what your spouse should look like. If you are not yet married, it creates damaging ideas about what your sexual relationship in marriage will look like. It creates dissatisfaction in the way that you look at your spouse. But in addition to all of those things, Research continues to show that pornography is deeply connected to sex trafficking around the world. There is maybe not an issue that makes me feel more angry than this. I think you have heard me tell a story before of when I was in India a few summers ago and I met this little girl who was part of this orphanage that we were visiting. She was two years old. She was new to the orphanage. The reason that she was in this orphanage is because her father was going to sell her as a sex slave so that he could get money for alcohol. He was going to sell her for $10. She was two. And instead, a pastor who happened to be in the area purchased her and brought her to this orphanage so that she would have a normal life. She was two. Just two weeks ago, we did a trafficking awareness event at my high school. 
And we heard a 26-year-old woman tell a story about how she was trafficked as a senior at Olentangy Liberty High School here in Columbus. And as a result of that, she has been addicted to heroin and cocaine, been in and out of rehab, and has almost lost her life on more than one occasion. Pornography is not victimless. Pornography is not victimless because many viewers of pornography go on to want to have real experiences with women who will do things like that for them. And many of the women who are sex workers in our country are trafficked into it. So no, pornography is not victimless. I want to play a video for you. I know that pornography is not a male-only issue, so don't hear me saying that. But the more that I pay attention to what's happening around the world, there are women who are being victimized all over the place. And part of the reason that women are being victimized is because we, as the church, do not have a serious enough attitude about sexual immorality. It's not victimless. It's not. It changes the way that we think about sex if we are willing to participate in things like this. So what are we watching? For some of us, or for some of your children, it means that you need to not have a phone in your room after you go to bed. It means that you need to not have a computer anywhere in your bedroom. It means that you need to invite people who are going to hold you accountable, who are going to ask you, what are you watching? Let me see your phone, let me look at it, let me see what you watched today. And if that seems like, geez, Sarah, I thought you said we're not here to like make a whole bunch of rules. Yeah, but do you want freedom or don't you? Like if we say like, oh, this year I'm gonna lose some weight, then probably one of the things that you should do is like join the Y and get rid of all the crap that's in your house so you stop eating it. Don't say you wanna lose some weight and then keep making all the same decisions and then wonder why, like, why isn't this working? Don't say you wanna be free and then keep making the same decisions and then wonder why you're not free. You wanna get into shape, you invite some people to hold you accountable. You wanna be free from this sin, invite people to hold you accountable. What do you watch? Now we're gonna do these next two quickly and then the band's gonna come back up and we're gonna have some time to reflect. What do you watch, what do you think about? Those two are so deeply tied to each other. What do you watch, what do you think about? But we're so willing to just kind of like let our minds run. I was in a conversation with a bunch of my friends, a bunch of my friends who love Jesus a lot. And um, they were going around the circle talking about like, now who's your celebrity crush? And who's your celebrity crush? And who's your celebrity crush? And I thought like, this is so weird. You're all married. Like, I don't understand what we're doing. (laughs) And I know, right? Sometimes those conversations are just like innocent and whatever. And yet, what does a conversation like that lead to? A willingness to entertain the idea that I'm gonna be sexually satisfied by somebody other than my spouse? Or for someone who's not married, a willingness to entertain thoughts about some sort of sexual experience? How is that helpful to me? It's not. What do you watch? What do you allow yourself to think about? Is it pushing you to be someone who is more godly? Because if not, then what's the point? And then lastly, and then maybe, you know, this is where lots of you thought we were gonna land. What are you doing? If you are participating in things that are sexually 
ungodly and immoral. You need to remember that Christ died to free you from that sin. He died to free you from that sin. It's not no big deal. It matters. Your sin matters. And I don't say that to say to you, like, if you have screwed up in this area, you should feel guilt and shame because now you're damaged forever. Hear me clearly, that is not true. But just like Paul said to the church in Corinth at the very, in the very first verses that we were reading, if we claim to be made new by Jesus, if that's what we're claiming, then we need to stop participating in these things that we know are damaging to our spiritual, physical, mental, emotional health. If we believe that there is freedom in Jesus, if we believe that we are a body, that we are a family, that we are in this together, then we need to stop being so selfish as to think I can do what I want because it does not impact other people. What I do impacts you and what you do impacts me and it impacts the person sitting next to you and it impacts these little people that we have back the hallway in Movement Kids. They are part of our family. I need to stop being so selfish to think I can just do whatever makes me feel happy because it's my body, it's my mind. What you do isn't just about you. What you do is about all of us. What are you watching? What are you thinking about? And what are you doing? Now this morning, we're gonna sing a little bit more than we usually do at the end. And part of the reason for that is because we wanna give you the chance to respond like we always say. But for some of you, what you may need to do is just sit to sit and to think and to pray and to let the music kind of wash over you. And maybe you need somebody to pray for you. Maybe you wanna come to the front and you just wanna like, as a moment or, or a, kind of like a putting a stake in the ground, you just wanna come to the front and you wanna kneel up here and you wanna pray. If you wanna do that, you are welcome to do that. If you wanna to come to the back and you want one of us to pray for you, please, I ask you to do that. You cannot fight this fight by yourself. So if you knew that changes need to happen, what are you going to do to invite accountability into your life to help? How can we support you? We are a family, that's what we say here. We are a family, a movement of people working together. So don't walk out of this room and feel like, man, I am a screw up. And now I gotta figure out how to fix it by myself. Men and women, no you don't. Because Jesus goes before you. Jesus died to free you. He fought the fight already. He's just asking you to follow him. He fought for you and now we work together. Don't walk out of this room feeling isolated. Ask for help. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing. I encourage you, if you need to sit, sit. If you need to come up here and pray, do that. If you need to come to the back, do that. Whatever you need to do, please take this week seriously. Because if we don't destroy sexual immorality, it will destroy us. Pray with me. Father, I acknowledge that I don't love I don't love having to talk about things that 
challenge the way that I think or challenge the way that I live because it's easier to just not have to deal with those things. But if I'm really gonna be genuinely committed to you, if I really believe that your death has transformed me, that I have life because of you, then God, I want to take you more seriously. I don't wanna just be kind of like hemming and hawing my way through life, living this mediocre kind of lukewarm, if it works for me today, I guess I'll do it. Jesus, I want to be committed to you. And so with that in mind, some of this stuff makes me uncomfortable. I don't like the idea that there are things that I have to give up. And yet, Jesus, I ask you this morning that you would convince us, that you would convince every heart in this room that you are worth it. That you, knowing you, following you, and finding real freedom and life in you is so much better than this garbage that we choose to tie ourselves to when it comes to sexual immorality. God, I ask that you would let your spirit fall heavy on this place this morning, that you would convict us of sin and that we today would turn and run from it, that we would not care how that makes us look to our friends, to our families, to our coworkers, to anybody else, but that we would understand the danger in these things and that we would run from it, that we would become a place that takes immorality seriously. Jesus, I ask that you would do something unprecedented in this room today, that you would change us, that you would free us, that you would free us from our sin and that you would free us from our shame and that we would walk out of here people who are wholly committed to you. We will give you all the glory for what you're gonna do in here this morning, Jesus. In your strong name, we ask these things, amen.